This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the emdocs.net podcast. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of having Tim Montreef on our episode. Tim is a stellar author and recently wrote a great review article on ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, something that we probably don't think about much in the ED, but it's a condition that can be very deadly for these patients. Tim, before we talk about ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, I think we need a little bit of background on assisted reproductive techniques. Why are these important for us to understand? We should care because it's becoming more popular. We're actually seeing an increase in the use of assisted reproductive technology over the past 20 years. And as technology advances, we're seeing a lot of these people being managed in the outpatient setting and coming to the emergency department for complications. In the U.S., approximately 12% of women between the ages of 15 and 44 have difficulty conceiving, and up to 7.3 million of those women will go on and use assisted reproductive technology. And this isn't something that's limited to the big cities. It's really hitting all of our emergency departments. That's a lot more frequent than I would expect or that I even think about. But walk me through the basics of an assisted reproductive cycle. What's supposed to happen here? Without getting deep into the the nitty-gritty, during assisted reproduction, exogenous hormones are administered to stimulate ovarian follicle production with the goal of getting as many possible to eventually fertilize. Nice work. You broke about a month of anatomy and physiology into about two sentences. For ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, what is actually going on in the body and what goes wrong? When you have OHSS, you have an abnormally excessive response to this controlled ovarian stimulation with these exogenous hormones. This can occur in up to 30% of assisted reproductive cycles, with severe OHSS occurring in about 5% of these cycles. Many of these women will have risk factors such as younger age, less than 35, polycystic ovarian syndrome, a lower BMI, or a previous history of OHSS. Sounds like some major issues with fluid and third spacing. So what should we be looking for on our history? How do these patients present? A lot of the presenting symptoms are going to revolve around three pathophysiologic features, capillary permeability and vasodilation due to all those cytokines and inflammatory mediators, hypercoagulability from hemoconcentration, and immunodeficiency due to protein losses and decreased levels of IgG and IgA. A lot of these women will present with abdominal distension, abdominal pain, and weight gain from the enlarged ovary. This can be followed by nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. In some cases, you'll see a lot of that third spacing and capillary permeability. You may see ascites, intravascular fluid depletion, GI losses, and even in some cases, cardiac tamponade, septic shock, or a hemorrhagic ovarian cyst. Again, pretty consistent with that third spacing, the capillary leakage. And what should I be looking for on my exam for these patients? On your physical exam, you're really going to focus down in the abdominal exam, making sure that there's no abdominal rigidity or signs of peritonitis. You're going to look at abdominal girth, ascites, and then really you're going to focus on the cardiac and respiratory after that. So listening for any friction rubs, any distant heart sounds, and then exactly looking for pleural effusions, 
any respiratory distress or pulmonary edema from that third spacing. All right, so our, our exam really fits with the underlying pathophysiology and that third spacing. Again, we're looking for the ascites, maybe some pleural effusions, cardiac tamponade. But you had earlier mentioned some grades of severity. Can you provide some more detail on these? And does this matter for us in the ED? So the grades of severity are really dependent on the clinical presentation. In mild cases, you may have some of that abdominal distension, girth, and a trace amount of ascites. But as you increase in severity, your disease process gets worse. So in moderate, you may see pulmonary edema, pleural effusions, whereas in the severe, we're talking about people are hemodynamically compromised, people may have intra-abdominal hypertension, or severe end-organ dysfunction. This patient could definitely be sick. I'm thinking ultrasound to look for ascites, maybe ultrasound to look for pleural effusion, pulmonary edema, even some tamponade. But what else do I need to be thinking about as far as a workup in the ED? A lot of the workup is going to be driven by the clinical features, and it's going to be similar to people who may come in with shortness of breath or shock, hypotension. Labs-wise, you're going to get a basic metabolic panel looking for those electrolyte abnormalities and fluid shifts, perhaps a VBG if they have respiratory distress, serum osmolality, lactate, LFTs, bilirubin, coags, beta-HCG, and a type and screen. Imaging-wise, this is really going to be determined by the clinical presentation and the symptoms. I'm a huge fan of using ultrasound, definitely to look at the uterus, look at the abdominal distension, look for any ascites or pleural effusions, and take a look and see what the heart's doing. Is it underfilled? Is it hyperdynamic? Or are you really fluid overloaded? We've kind of got this anasarca picture where there's too much fluid everywhere. I think my first move is going to be calling the patient's OB. But other than that, what are the key treatment actions that we need to do while the patient's down in the ED? We know that OHSS is typically self-limited. Management is largely supportive. You're going to do what you do best. Manage the ABCs. Manage any shock or fluid losses, third spacing that's occurring. In severe cases, involving your OB colleagues early, getting IV fluids, managing respiratory distress with supplemental oxygen, non-invasive ventilation, or intubation is required. You're going to manage any ascites or intra-abdominal hypertension by decompressing the stomach via nasogastric or oral gastric tube, draining any of these space-occupying lesions like the ascites, and improving their abdominal wall compliance. One pearl in these patients, due to their rapid accumulation of ascites, they're at risk of intra-abdominal hypertension or even abdominal compartment syndrome. I'd have a low threshold for checking a bladder pressure in these patients. Obviously, for those sick patients needing resuscitation, they're going to be admitted to the ICU, probably with OB as a consultation service. But what about the other patients? Are all of these patients admitted, or are there some patients that can be discharged home with follow-up? Most of these patients will have mild symptoms and won't be admitted. OHSS is typically self-limited, and most of the management is supportive. Mild cases can be managed as an outpatient with close discussion with their OB-GYN, close follow-up, and good discharge instructions. Having some fluid restriction, about two liters of water daily, measuring your ins and outs, measuring your body weight and abdominal girth for close follow-up with that OB-GYN. In moderate to severe cases, you're going to involve your OB colleagues early, initiate fluid resuscitation with IV crystalloid, manage the ABCs, and most of these people will be managed as an inpatient. 
Tim, that was awesome stuff. If you could leave the listeners with a couple pearls for their next shift, what would those be? The big take-home point is to keep this in mind when you have a patient coming in who's on assisted reproductive technology. OHSS occurs in up to 30% of these cycles. And make sure that you're assessing volume status, looking for fluid overload, and that really characteristic third spacing that OHSS causes. Tim, thanks for coming on this episode, and I'm sure we'll have you on again for some other awesome topics. Before we sign off, I want to follow on with a couple points that Tim had mentioned. So really, when we're thinking about this, he had talked about that number of 30%, and that's the overall number. The moderate form accounts for less than 6%, and those severe and critical forms are even more rare. The problem with ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome is a significant morbidity and mortality. You need to think about thromboembolic events, other severe infections, ARDS, decreased end organ perfusion, and Tim had mentioned abdominal compartment syndrome. The big risk factors that you really need to focus on for your history include a prior episode of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which has an odds ratio of 6.8, and then the final one is increased number of oocytes retrieved in an IVF cycle. In terms of their presentation, you can really break this down into two forms. There's an early and a late one. The early form occurs four to seven days after their most recent dose of exogenous HCG. The presentation is usually mild or moderate in severity. The late syndrome occurs at least nine days after their most recent dose, and this is usually more severe. Patients who have the mild form may present with some abdominal pain, distension. They may have some nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, but there's really no lab abnormalities. Patients with the moderate form will probably have ultrasound evidence of intra-abdominal fluid. They're going to have more severe GI symptoms. They're also going to have a sudden increase in weight. And then you also will see laboratory abnormalities like a hematocrit greater than 41%, which reflects that hemoconcentration, a white blood cell count over 15,000 and then also hypoproteinemia. The severe form is evidence of ascites on physical exam. They have severe abdominal pain, maybe intractable, nausea and vomiting, and also hypovolemia. These are also the patients who have some form of end organ injury. On your labs, you're probably going to see an even higher hematocrit, an even higher white blood cell count, and also hyponatremia and hyperkalemia. Their critical form is where you're going to see the severe multi-organ hypoperfusion, anuria, acute renal failure, cardiac arrhythmias, maybe some respiratory insufficiency, pericardial effusion, and even DIC. You also need to keep on your differential torsion, which can be due to increased ovarian volume that occurs during fertility therapy, thromboembolic events, which can be due to hemoconcentration, increased circulation of clotting factors, and elevated serum estrogen, and then finally, severe infections. Like Tim had mentioned, really your management and disposition focuses on early OBGYN consultation and collaborative decision-making. Your treatment is based on the severity of presentation and managing individual complications of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. For those patients with the mild form, you're going to be focusing on symptomatic therapy, reduction in fluid intake with a maximum of two liters daily water intake, and then avoiding nephrotoxic agents. Because of the risk of thromboembolic disease, many of these patients will require anticoagulation. These patients can probably be followed up as an outpatient in two to three days. The other forms of the disease are more tricky. Patients who have the moderate form 
might be able to go home, but they're still going to need symptomatic therapy and they may need admission. Patients with a severe and critical form are going to need hemodynamic resuscitation. When it comes to your initial resuscitation, strongly consider albumin with your isotonic crystalloids for fluid resuscitation. Also consider early vasopressors. Make sure to correct any underlying electrolyte abnormalities, provide respiratory support, and if sepsis is a possibility, which is very likely in these patients, start antibiotics. And then also think about paracentesis in patients with oliguria, dyspnea, and abdominal distension. These patients are going to need the ICU, but also keep in mind abdominal compartment syndrome. This is going to be a very tricky diagnosis in these patients. Thanks for joining us on the emdocs.net podcast, and hopefully you feel more comfortable with ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, and now this is on your radar. See you next time, and stay safe.